Hey everyone, it's Anita and Jackie. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Uh, today, we're going to talk about FTX and the fallout and what's next for crypto. Obviously, that's surprise, surprise. a major hot topic <laughs> with everything going on. Uh, it's been an eventful past two weeks. Yeah. Obviously. A lot has happened and, you know, <laughs> there was this thing that happened earlier this week where I saw our TikTok made it into a Forbes article. Mm -hmm. uh, we made a TikTok with Brett Harrison, formerly of FTX US, and uh, we got a little flack for not digging deeper, but, you know, trust me, like, we have been trying. And I think everyone in the industry, all journalists, crypto reporters, like, we are doing our best to uncover the information and figure out what exactly happened. I mean, not really sure how we could have predicted this multi-billion multi dollar situation, but now that it's come to light, Jackie and I were thinking, like, we should talk about where do we go from here? Like, what's next? Yeah, definitely. I think to start, I'm sure many of you in the room have seen this, but yesterday a Vox reporter was, uh, she published her DMs with the former CEO of FTX. We have to say former now because he is not the CEO, uh, <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried. And it was like transactions, they got, transactions. It was conversations they had on Twitter and she, yeah. she, she pulled out the receipts. I mean, she fully shared the screenshots on Twitter and he's been saying some crazy stuff. I mean, I was reading this yesterday and like, it's been such a wild ride that, you know, okay, so Jackie and I talked before this and we're like, it would be really interesting and fun if maybe we share some of our favorite quotes from the Twitter DMs. But by favorite, I mean like the most unhinged, like most crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anita, why don't you take it away? <laughs> okay, okay. I'll start with mine because I was, I was looking forward to this one. And keep um, in mind, these are his words. Not yes, ours. okay. <laughs> Begin quote. Fuck regulators, they make everything worse. End quote. Okay. Why that one, Anita? <laughs> so this, this really stuck out to me. I mean, the whole conversation was in this very casual tone. Um, you know, people have speculated as to, like, the relationship between the reporter at Vox and SBF. Like, perhaps they were friends before. But he was just very um, not buttoned up, was saying absolutely anything. And I mean, that quote stands out for obvious reasons, but he also kind of went on to, to talk about how like no one else is regulating the rest of the finance industry. And he, he went on this rant about like the FDA and the OFAC and how they're undermining US interests globally. And I just thought it was so telling because after he spent so long lobbying in DC, you know, trying to be influential there, now behind the scenes, he's saying, fuck regulators. I mean, he came out with some something on Twitter, I believe, sort of trying to clarify these comments after they were leaked. But this, this is an insight into what he really thinks and what he has really thought this entire time. Yeah, it's definitely an honest moment, I think, uh, for SPF and everyone reading that because he was out there for so long in DC, constantly lobbying with congressmen. And now it's just kind of like crumbling, like everything he's worked on is yeah. falling beneath his feet. Well, and it's like, did he really believe in that mission the entire time? Or was he just trying to sort of launder his reputation? Yeah, well, you know? to quote him, he said, man, all the dumb shit I said, it's not true. So, yeah, this was <laughs> like in, in the DMs. It yeah, definitely it goes down the DMs. Yeah. What, was, what was one of your favorite quotes, Jackie? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, okay, so this is his words. You know what was maybe my biggest fuck up? The one thing everyone told me to do, chapter 11. Okay, so he <laughs> regrets filing for bankruptcy. Yeah, he basically implied all of this could have been avoided if FTX did not declare bankruptcy and like took financial matters into his own hands. But like, what would they have done? 
Like, how would that have worked? Uh, well, he wants <laughs> to raise $8 billion, which is a small amount of money. Yeah. You know, so. Right. I don't. <laughs> yeah. That seems really impossible. And he's not even CEO anymore. So, like, does he even have the ability to go out and yeah. fundraise like that? No, he's not involved at all, although his messages seem to imply otherwise. You know, last week he was replaced as CEO of FTX by John Ray III, uh, a lawyer. Yeah, the, the who, Enron guy. Yeah, that was Enron wild. Guy. I was like, who is this man? Yeah. And then. Yeah, and he put out up. statements this morning, basically like implying again that Sam Bankman-Fried is not involved, and he is no longer the CEO. And whatever he says that is just sense. hurting things more, honestly. Um, and I, I'd probably want yeah. to distance myself at that point too. <laughs> like I don't know him; we yeah. don't know who he is. Yeah, and SPF basically said that people in charge of you know the company are trying to burn it all to the ground out of shame. Like the, the like John J. Ray yeah. and yeah, wow. So he thinks he could have saved it. He thinks that bankruptcy, he was pressured into it. Mm -hmm. He still thinks he could save it. Wow. I mean, well, okay. So there's another quote that I had flagged here as like one of, you know, my, the ones that stood out to me. And he was basically just talking about, you know, sort of how a lot of what he said was a lie. And he's known as this effective altruist. He's known as someone who supposedly cares a great deal about philanthropy and helping the world. And Kelsey, the reporter, was sort of pushing him on like, you know, you said all these things about how you care, care about the world and you care about regulations that protect consumers and everything. And he, he says, and this is, you know, begin quote here, I feel bad for those who get fucked by it. By this dumb game, we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths and so everyone likes us. So End quote, SBF. So all, all his <laughs> stuff about like being a good person, kind of a lie. Yeah, potentially. And uh, this morning, I mean, we were backstage and I was watching a clip of him from back in April. And it's just like hard to almost combine the two people like SBF today and SBF back then, yeah. because the prior SBF was seen as like this, like white knight and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm not. This is like his, his villain era. Yeah. Like, he, is, <laughs> he is embracing entering his villain era. <laughs> but it's just like it's hard to imagine that someone could put on a facade for so long. Yeah, and, and so effectively, too. I mean, there was just so much that happened. I don't know if you, were there any, like, other parts that, that yeah. stood out to you? Because, like... All right, yeah, yeah, okay. The last one, and this is pretty long, um, but this was the most, like, jaw-dropping one uh, from the DMs, is, quote, oh... oh took the juiciest yeah. quote, okay. Quote, oh, FTX doesn't have a bank account. I guess people can wire to Alameda to get money on FTX. Dot, 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 three years later, dot, dot, dot oh, fuck, it looks like people wired $8 billion to Alameda, and oh, God, we basically forgot about the stub account that corresponded to that. And so it was never delivered to FTX. So he's basically like, yeah, it all happened so fast, and then I woke up one morning, and I had potentially committed crimes and misused customer funds. Yeah, it all started small, though, so it's okay. Okay, so this is just <laughs> him explaining how it snowballed. I mean, yeah. wow. I mean, this is just, like, one of, like, the many DMs that he sent this reporter, which... If you're gonna DM with a reporter, like, come on. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, you gotta establish the terms no, of that yeah. conversation. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if it's not on the record, you kinda gotta say that, right? Yeah. He knows that, he's media trained, he's hugely media trained, yeah. so. I mean, there's just like no words to convey how infuriating and difficult it was to read all of this. Yeah. And that's kinda why we wanted to pull some of the quotes from this and talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it yeah. shocked me genuinely, and I'm still, I'm still in disbelief because it was like after his whole tweet thread of like he started tweeting like individual letters and everyone was like, what is going on here? And mm -hmm. then he 
then starts, you know, DMing people, things like this, he really has shown no remorse. But, you know, I guess we do want to get to talking about like some of the impacts as well. So I think I'll wrap with another quote that stood out to me in the words of Sam Bankman Freed, the world is never so black and white. <laughs> he also yeah. said sometimes life creeps up on you and I, I think it is Dude, right it's now. crept up. It's crept up. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next topic, contagion yeah. in well, this is like speaking on. of shit creeping yeah. up. So the contagion that has happened because of this has been absolutely wild. And I mean, we've seen a lot of different firms affected by all of this. Like we saw Multicoin, they froze their assets. We saw um, Galaxy, BlockFi. Um, Galaxy had a huge exposure to FTX. BlockFi is potentially filing for bankruptcy. And these are all companies that in some way were like intertwined with FTX. There's also Genesis, um, the crypto lender. They're owned by DCG, Digital Currency Group, and they had, I mean, they had huge loan volume at the end of Q3 last year. Mm -hmm. DCG is a big deal because they own Grayscale, as you know, and they basically suspended redemptions after, one week after saying last week that they had no material exposure to FTX. So my question is like, what are the next chips that are going to fall? Because Already, we've, we, we've even heard reports about like Gemini suspending withdrawals. All of these major names in crypto, it seems like each one is falling like, like a bunch of dominoes. Hmm. I actually spoke to a source earlier this week and basically said that if they can, they will avoid taking it public. They rather crumble in silence. So there's a lot of like... Made into oblivion. So yeah. there's probably a lot we haven't heard about. Yeah, so the fact that some people were like, oh, we're fine, and now they're like, actually, no, we had exposure. We have to come forward and say this. It's because like their customers need to know that they can't withdraw or they can't do X, Y, Z because of what happened. I mean, there's a need for that transparency, but I mean, you, you reported on this earlier this week about like what people were saying behind the scenes. Yeah, so I actually got access to a Telegram chat that had about 147 members uh, for FTX creditors and it ranged from a number of market makers to hedge fund managers. And basically there was a poll in there and about 70 people responded uh, of their exposure to FTX. It ranged from anything less than 5 million up to someone voted all the way up to 500 million. Ouch. Yeah. Wow. So there, and you know, all 70 of these people are not fully reported out there in the media yeah. and some might never be reported, but they voted on this poll. They said how much they've lost. And on top of that, they're kind of like seeking out opportunities for claims. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, what, what were people saying in the chat about how they're going to untangle this whole mess? A lot of people in the chat were very stressed out, of course. <laughs> Understandable. So, you know, losing millions of dollars is no walk in the park. But they were also saying they're looking for opportunities for, you know, over-the-counter uh, buyouts or whatever they can get, like five to ten cents on the dollar. I know in the chat they said Enigma is going to buy claims for over ten million dollars. So if you have an account with over ten million, they might consider it. So, uh, so to, to get this straight, yeah. this is basically you know companies that were affected by FTX that are trying to sell their claims that they have on their funds that were held in FTX. Like they're thinking it's going to get recovered. Yeah. So. Obviously, there's the going to be like be a really long court case and it's going to take a long time. So instead of waiting for that moment to recover whatever they can, they rather just sell it out to someone else right now. Someone who has a longer time horizon and can yeah. wait for the court case to unfold. Yep. So. Wow. But selling it at a huge discount. So it's like if you had a bunch I've of money, had, you're asking for yeah, pennies. Five to 10% of it. Yeah. If that. Yeah. That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's pretty bad. I mean what else have you been hearing in terms of like, besides the claims, is there anything else that people are thinking they're doing to extric extricate themselves? Because this is really like, 
I mean, this feels like near apocalyptic for crypto as an industry. Yeah, I mean, anyone who was a big player was on FTX is what I've heard from like multiple different sources. And it's like you couldn't have a credible market making business if you weren't on that platform. So funds on those platform is frozen, in essence, perhaps gone because they can't access it. So the contagion is just going to keep like rolling out more and more beyond what we see today. Well, and one thing I, I had read was that this is going to be the most complicated bankruptcy proceeding in all of U.S. history. So I, I have a feeling it's going to take yeah. a minute or two. Yeah, I'm no lawyer, but I don't want to be part of that case. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it just delays the amount of time that it's going to take for some of these claims to actually be recovered. I mean, who knows if that's actually what's going to happen. And yeah. it's just kind of like, of course, there's a secondary market for the claims. Of course. Who's buying them up? It would be, so Enigma, according to the chat, Enigma is looking into it. And there were other talks of other firms that are not fully confirmed. So I will not say those names. <laughs> okay, maybe, yeah. maybe Jackie will spill the tea later. <laughs> later on, maybe. yeah. We'll see. You know, all right, this is all a, right. a developing story, guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the contagion and the sort of effects of FTX on the broader market. But the other thing I think we should talk about is the transparency theme. I mean, I just had my interview with CZ of Binance this morning, and he was talking a ton about transparency. And I feel like every crypto exchange right now is talking about proof of reserves. And they're like, we're going to release all this information. But when all this came out, I was just kind of like, OK, what? Like, first of all, what is proof of reserves? <laughs> like, can you explain right, that to me in plain to English? Because you wrote yeah, about yeah. it. OK, so <laughs> proof of reserves, it's basically an independent audit of third parties that aim to provide transparency and evidence that a custodian holds the asset it claims to hold on behalf of its clients. Um, and a handful of exchanges, as you mentioned, are rushing to publish proof of reserves and kind of what looks like an attempt to say, like, hey, we're not like FTX. We've got the money. Yeah, like, got it. Books. Yeah, like, look at us. We're, we're fine. Um, and a lot of people are saying, like, what happened with FTX could have been avoided with proof of reserves. But we'll get to that. Um, and exchanges like Binance, Crypto.com, KuCoin, OKX, Bybit, and others issued statements that they would publish their reserves to show more transparency and that they have these funds. Yeah. Well, see, and my first question when all of this came out about proof of reserves was, like, as someone who doesn't actually have that deep of a technical background, I was wondering, like, how, how are they going to be reported? How do we certify that they're providing valid information? I mean, how do you sort of audit this sort of thing? And I was just looking into Binance's specifically. They have published their proof of reserves. They disclosed that they had around $69 billion in assets. But part of the reason I had this question about the, the validity of proof of reserves data is the crypto.com example, which I did bring up in my interview. But just to give a little recap on that, I mean, crypto.com basically thought they were trying to be transparent. They published all of the cold wallet addresses that were linked to the exchange. And then a Twitter user found that the exchange had sent like 82% of their entire Ethereum holdings to another exchange called gate.io. And essentially, like, gate.io, shortly after that transfer, had published their own proof of funds or proof of reserves. Crypto.com then released their own, like, I think it was a week or two later. And so people are now speculating that there was some sort of coordination involved. Like, why is it that Crypto.com transferred all of this funds to gate.io? Does that have anything to do with what they're reporting? So obviously, I mean, this happens with public companies, too, where they're forced to disclose. They're forced to be transparent on certain metrics. So before the disclosure comes, before the quarter end, they'll make sure everything is in order and they'll, you know, kind of transfer around money. But it's just kind of 
I don't know. I, I'm not entirely convinced that just having these companies report their proof of reserves is enough transparency. No, definitely. And I feel like, you know, proof of reserves is almost making these private companies public in a way, like by putting these things out there. So that I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains here and opportunity for them to do right by their customers. But also we it, hope that crypto companies take those opportunities. Yeah, we got the receipts. So I'm not sure that'll always be the case. But I guess like the whole thing with proof reserves and going back to the point I was making earlier, it's like if FTX had this, perhaps they would have acted better because it would have been fully available to depositors to sure, see. Yeah, yeah. And like imagine if depositors knew that FTX and Alameda were doing this all the time or in real time or from the beginning, people maybe would have pulled their funds at a slower rate or they would have been like, hey, I don't trust them as much. I'm going to get out opposed to all at once, like an avalanche or something. And I thought it was really interesting, too, that when I was chatting with CZ about this, that was one piece of regulation that he seemed to be on board with. I mean, we know from all of our work that most industry leaders in crypto are not very fond of any regulation at all. Um, I know. Or they, they say they want clarity, <laughs> but that really genuinely means like, yeah. well, we want the freedom to do what we want. Yeah. We want clarity that we can do whatever. But it seems like, I mean, I don't know. I wonder if there will actually be a coordinated effort between these large exchanges to almost like get ahead of the issue and lobby to push for proof of reserves to become some sort of like legal requirement, at least in the US. I don't know. Yeah, CZ was actually saying last week that there was like an association that they're working to form, not under Binance's name, but they're going to work together with other major players to make like a third party organization that can go and speak on behalf of the crypto industry and they can make these guidelines internally. So like, hey, we think everyone should follow XYZ. We should all be transparent. And then the whole industry almost in a way, not shamed into doing it, but like they feel inclined to do it because, you know, the association says this is good. Yeah. Um, but that's like an ongoing thing. Well, and I guess despite my broader questions about whether this is enough or whether even showing this data is valid or not, I, I can't really assess that on my own. I guess it seems like everyone is pretty hung up on this becoming a thing, right? Like, I don't know, what have you been hearing from, from sources in terms of like, the demand for proof of reserves and like, like are people, are users pressuring these companies? Yes, I actually spoke to the co-founder of Chainlink and they have their own like proof of reserves division, so to speak. And he said the demand for it has like grown 10 times since oh, wow. this whole FTX like, thing went since down. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he said it's not just, well, of course, crypto exchanges are reaching out, but also banks, traditional banks are reaching out to do this as well. So it goes beyond the crypto To report industry. their proof of reserves yeah. for... Like for, for digi digital assets that they hold? Digital assets and so that clients can see what traditional banks are doing with their assets. I mean, regulation compels them to do a lot of that already. So it's, it's very <laughs> telling that like banks are now even trying to like provide more disclosure. Because I think even for the, like we saw a lot of traditional financial players and institutions basically jump into crypto in the past two years. And now I'm sure they're looking and feeling quite silly after all of this happened. And mm -hmm. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like it takes a lot for a bank to decide like, oh, we're going to go above and beyond and even disclose more than you even asked us to. And I think it just speaks to the fact that people have really lost a lot of faith and trust in the industry. Yeah. And also it's like not everyone wants to use proof of reserves. There's still hesitancy. Uh, people could argue whatever reason they want. But the biggest argument right now is that it allows them to still take risks and uh, as FTX did, misuse funds. How so, do you mean? Like, you mean that it doesn't matter whether you're reporting or not, you can still do what you want if there's no... No, I'm saying, like, people mechanism. who don't want to do proof of reserves. Oh, okay. There's still people out there who don't, of course.
Yeah, like exchanges <laughs> that are not trying to report. Yeah, yeah. That's but I, I think like you. all in all, proof of reserves can be a positive thing for the industry. Um, obviously, there's concerns about transparency, as you mentioned, but it's not annual, it's not biannual, but it's constantly updating and showing like what the company is doing. And that's at the bare minimum, what users want at this point. They're scared. Depositors don't trust their exchanges right now. Even ones that are like yeah. so well-developed. It's you just know? funny. Okay, I saw this tweet. I'm always like, I saw this tweet, but I saw some tweet that was to the effect of like, people who really wanted crypto adoption at the beginning were all about, you know, there's no rules and it's unregulated and you can use the funds however you want. You can transfer wherever. I know really. And now like crypto users are like, oh shit, like it's not... It's not insured. These are not like FDIC insured deposits. And like, (laughs) oh no, I like lost a bunch of money. And it's kind of like, well, that's the whole thing. If there's not a regulatory framework or if there's not rules, then it's every every person for themselves. And so I think it's it's extremely ironic that this is all coming to light because to me, it's just another example of like crypto evolving the same exact way the traditional finance system worked. Like Mm -hmm. we had those regulations come and be, um, you know, set for a reason. And it seems like that the same exact dynamics are playing out now. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think it'll just be limited to proof of reserves, right? Like there's got to be other categories and ways for crypto entities to prove transparency and that they're doing right by their customers. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see like what what they come up with. Um, Yeah. But no, I wanted to take, Jackie, the the last couple of minutes to like like reflect because I feel like... (laughs) You know, we've been going a mile a minute here. Like, we've been talking really fast. We have a ton of awesome interviews for the rest of the day. But after all of this stuff has happened, as a crypto reporter and as someone who has just followed the space, like, how how are you feeling? And what what has stood out the most to you? Thank you for asking. Yeah, just just check it out. I'll ask you you the same, yeah. I I care about you. (laughs) I guess, like, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, the decline of Sam Bankman-Fried has been so jarring to watch. Um, And it's not like I viewed him as this, like, idol the way a lot of media has portrayed him. We never really profiled him as this, like, sweet, cool, Corolla-driving guy who's a billionaire, you know? Like, we never played into that narrative. And and frankly, I, I think with a lot of my close colleagues, like, we have been talking for a while, like, you and me included, about, like, is, is this somehow maybe too good to be true? Obviously, I'm not saying that I yeah. spotted it first. I totally didn't. No, but for sure. it's uh, not, to, you know, yeah. yeah. There were some fawning pieces. Yeah. Of I, unnamed New York based publications that <laughs> I'm not going to mention here. The New York Times one. Let's just yeah. be honest. We, the Puff that piece. wasn't us. Okay. But uh, it felt like, and it wasn't, it's not even felt like he seemingly and truly destroyed his image within a couple hours, days, and now a little over a week. It's just funny to me, like, how quickly people rush to defend him. I'm not just talking about the media. Like, I don't, you know, whatever. That, that aside, I mean, just the general public in the first couple of days when this was all unfolding, everyone's like, oh, but like, surely he just got over his skis. Like, surely it has to be a mistake. I mean, even really? I found myself instinctively wanting to believe some of those things mm-hmm. because when you look at the reality of the situation, it's just so much worse. Mm-hmm. And with all these leaked DMs and everything, it's like, oh, like this was actually very intentional and kind of sinister. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, you know, a, a young boy genius who messed up or like got in over his head though that is the narrative that he's trying to craft and I think that's something that we you know as journalists need to push back on yeah all right how are you feeling what are, what's the biggest standout for you <laughs> how am I feeling um well okay first of all I'm like I hope everyone is not sick of my voice but <laughs> I 
how am I feeling? I have so many thoughts, but you know, okay, I'll, I'll actually tell you what the hardest part for me has been this week, which is I think all of the misinformation and just unverified rumors like floating around on Twitter, because even for me as a journalist, even though I have like, you know, I spend all my time in this field and, and all of that, I just see these things like random accounts will tweet out. Like I saw something, you know, a couple of days ago that turned out to, I, I don't think was proven true that like SBF was arrested on the tarmac in the Bahamas. And I was like, oh, maybe that could have happened. That's plausible, but doesn't seem that he's been arrested so far. And I just think it's interesting that this, you know, spread of misinformation is happening at the same time as the debate over citizen journalism and Twitter, right? Like with, you know, Twitter as a platform and the sort of like media outlets versus like the, the people doing the reporting. And I just, I mean, yeah, okay. A little self-serving to say this because I work in the media, but I, I think that, you know, there's, there's, a there's a place for journalism here and there's a place for fact checking and, you know, things have been really juicy on Twitter, but hopefully we can keep uh, bringing the truth to light. I don't know. Maybe that's an inspiring place to end. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap it up there. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Everyone. Yeah. Thanks. This was fun. <laughs>